Well, good morning again. It is so good to see your bright and smiling faces this morning. Take your Bible, and I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. It's towards the end of your New Testament. I know we're in a teaching series in Galatians chapter 5, so if you want to put your finger in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we'll be there for a second, and then we're going to flip to 1 John. Make sense there, everybody? So glad you're here. And guys, can I ask a question as we get started this morning? Who is digging this cool fall weather? Any of you guys loving this? Man, I got up this morning, I walked outside, I wanted to be like the sound of music. The hills are alive. It was awesome. Loving it, man. Before we get rolling this morning, I want to mention something uh, that we didn't share on announcements because I believe it's vitally important. We believe here at River Hills that we want to equip you for life's journey. In fact, our whole mission is to connect truth and people together. Truth being scripture, truth being Jesus. We want to connect people with Christ because we believe that's the answer to life. But we also want to connect you with scripture once you become a Christian to help you grow in your faith. Really, we're not called to be stagnant or stand still. We're called to move forward. Agreed? And the thing is, many times we, we don't know how. We don't know what to do. And what happens is we have a paralysis by analysis. Have you heard that uh, heard that phrase before? And I believe that happens to us spiritually. So we've created a new system here called 2 by 2 And so excited to announce this this morning. We're going to be doing what we call a foundations seminar. And we're going to take 45 minutes out of your week on a Sunday evening on October 10th at 6 o'clock. We're going to teach you how to read your Bible, how to pray, and how to grow spiritually. You've heard the phrase, teach a man, uh, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man a fish, you feed him for what? His whole life, right? We want you to be able to feed yourself. That's God's plan for you, straight up. And so we want to give you the tools necessary to grow. But in tandem with that, we want to give you someone to hold you accountable. When I tend to get in shape, it's because someone is holding me accountable to go to the gym and eat right, correct? When I tend to be doing better spiritually, I have some form of accountability. And so the, we're calling this two by two because out of that seminar, you're going to be partnered with someone of your choice or someone that you may not know. It depends if you know someone or not. We'll help you find somebody to hold you accountable, you and you, you, each other, to grow spiritually. Get in the Word every day, get in prayer every day, and take these tools that you've learned for six weeks. We're going to give you a plan to help you grow spiritually. You with me on that? So I want, to, I want you to sign up. I really believe that this is something you need. I have told people over and over again, in 20 years of ministry, 20-plus years of ministry now, the thing that I would say would be a success for me as your pastor was that you and I both would be journeying that road together in Scripture and in prayer by following Jesus. That's it. It's not the size of the church, the quality of the musicianship, or how many people follow us online. It's about you personally growing in your faith. That's where it, that's where it is. So I want to encourage you to do something with me. I want you to text in this number right now called two, to 554 whatever it is it's going to be back up there in a minute i have a little cheat screen right there um and i want you to text in two by two to this number that's going to send you a link to sign up to come to this seminar and then it'll be for 45 minutes october 10th that night give you an opportunity to learn how to read the bible because i'm a little bit a lot of us feel not very confident of that agreed how to pray because sometimes we pray and we feel like our prayers go straight up to the ceiling and bounce back down y'all been there before we're going to talk about how to get through that, how to understand Scripture, and then how to take that and sit with your cup of coffee every morning or every evening and grow spiritually. Sound good to everybody? So sign up for that. It's going to send you a link. That is the easiest way to do that. Sound good? All right, that's my announcement this morning. So fired up about that. 
Let's get to work this morning. We're in the middle of a teaching series called Peeled, and we're studying the fruit of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. And for the first two weeks, we've kind of built an introduction of what this means. We've learned two things. One, there is a contest or an op- competition or war within the Christian soul between what is what we call flesh and is what we call spirit. The flesh is what everyone is born with. It's our sin nature. Nobody had to teach you and me how to lie. Nobody had to teach you and I how to deceive people or do anything wrong. It just came natural, and those things begin to snowball and get worse and worse as we get older. Agreed? But once you become a Christian, you are captured into Christ. That's the word baptism. This is why baptism is so important. The word baptize or baptismo means to immerse. And you are immersed into Jesus. He brings you into himself, into the body of Christ, and makes you one with Jesus. Yet, we still live in this world, and we still have these temptations, and we still have these habits that we have in our past, or even we're developing currently. So this battle inside of us between the flesh and the spirit is very, very much real, and it feels somewhat defeating, right? So we moved on to the next week, which was last week, and we learned how to produce fruit. Now, fruit are those virtues that we want to have in our life because we're following Jesus. And every Christian is going to have them. Even non-Christians may have virtues, but we're talking about fruit of what God produces in your life. And we're going to study those in detail over the next few weeks. We've learned that those fruit are divided up into three categories. We have fruit that is Godward, those things that are directed towards the Lord. We learned that fruit was uh, manward, how we relate to other people. Then we learned that fruit was selfward, things that we have and attributes we develop in ourselves. And so as we've studied those or we've looked at them as a whole, for the next several weeks, we're going to take each individual word. Now let's throw that up on the screen. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And here are the fruit, and we're going to take each one individually. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. That's our first category. Forbearance, kindness, goodness, and then faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You follow me on this? And this morning, we're going to deal with the phrase love. That's our topic this morning. What is love? Don't hurt me. You get that? Somebody, some of y'all got that right away, right? What is love? The first sermon I preached as a minister that I remember, I was a, a 23-year-old student pastor at First Baptist Church, Waynesboro, Georgia. Wonderful people. I gained 30 pounds living there because I was a single dude, and all the ladies wanted to bring me a casserole every week, and I, I blessed them by taking that into my home and devouring it entirely. Uh, it was before Sarah Beth and I got married, so I had some really unhealthy habits, physically speaking, before we did. But um, the first message I preach was on love in the topic. I had no idea what I said. I had no idea the text. I have no idea the illustrations that I used, but I remember the title because it was very Tina Turner-esque. What does love have to do with it? That was the message. And so I preached the whole message. What's love got to do with it? All that stuff. And at the end of my time, I was leaving the back, and this older gentleman came up to me. His name was Joey, and Joey came up to me, and he says, pointed at the bulletin, because that's what you call them in those churches, right? He pointed at the bulletin, and he says, what's love got to do with it? And he looked at me, and he said, young man, everything. What does love have to do with it? As it pertains to growing in your faith, it pertains to the relationship we have with the Lord, Joey hit the nail on the head. Everything. Everything. As we're going to see as we study this passage of Scripture, love infiltrates and affects every category of your life, my life, our relationship with the Lord and His attributes. But the problem is we misunderstand what love is. We have this old concept of a Forrest Gump perspective of I know what love is, but we really don't. 
As you leave here today, as you scan through the radio dial or you listen to the new podcast or you get on Spotify or Amazon, whatever it may be that you listen to, almost every song or at least every other song has to do with love, right? You have the lyrical moments. My favorite, Randy Travis, old school country, right? Any of y'all know what I'm talking about? Here's his idea on love. He says this, my love is deeper than the holler. I had to go to Kentucky to find out what that was. Stronger than the river, higher than the pine tree growing tall on the hill. That's love. Billie Eilish, some of you know who that is, right? She says, as a young person, as very young, say you were trying, I'm going to have to do this right, hold on. <laughs> My kids are going to be so embarrassed in the next service. Say you were trying to make me laugh and nothing has to change today. You didn't mean what to say, I love you, I love you and I don't want to. I don't know what that means, but she thinks she's got it, Right? Some of you, I'm going to take you back to the 80s. Y'all ready? Y'all ready for this? Some, who, who grew up in the 80s here? All right, some of y'all is 80s folks. Here we go. Foreigner. You ready? Here we go. I want to know what love is. They didn't get it either. You follow that now? Here's for some of us in the 90s who grew up, who took our big hair and switched them for cowboy boots. I was that guy. Garth Brooks says, I'm shameless when it comes to loving you. But that's not always true, is it? Elvis couldn't help falling in love and John Legend says this oh the great John Legend all the stars you make them shine like they were your hours ain't nobody in the world but you and I you and I and ain't nobody in the world I love you and he says that 18 times and gets 50 million dollars <laughs> I don't think we get it you know what I mean even when we're looking into the face of a newborn baby and we say I love you there is a deep feeling there but I don't really think we understand what love is sometimes. And when we peel back what God has for us, what God intends for us to understand what love is, the ramifications and the applications of that changes completely. So we want to take a journey this morning through 1 John chapter 4. If we could give the book of 1 John a label, it would be the book of love in a lot of ways. John was the apostle who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the book of Revelation as well as the gospel of John. And everybody's heard John 3.16, right? For God so what? Loved. So he, he kind of got it. I love John because John, he was the only disciple that died a natural death. He was not martyred for his faith even though he went through extreme persecutions. And so they would prop him up, legend has it, they would prop him up as an old man in front of his church in that ancient world and he would just shake and stand up and raise his hands and go little children love one another that's all he could do he kind of has a perspective that you and I get need to get because he understood the love of Jesus because he was the disciple at the foot of the cross as Christ was being crucified he was the disciple that Jesus commissioned to take care of his mom and he was the disciple that lived the longest and saw the church go through all types of turmoil and the thing he communicates over and over again is love. But the infatuations that we have, the things that we hear online or on the radio, or the perceptions we may have grown up with, isn't necessarily the love that God talks about. And so when we deal with this Godward love, this fruit of the Spirit, the thing that God produces in the Christian's life and the thing that we're called to nurture and develop, we've got to figure out what love is this morning. In 1 John chapter 4, John lays out some things here that are important for us to recognize because as we try to answer that idea of what is love, the simple answer is love is the overflow of, guess what? Love. 
And as you try to figure this out and apply this on your own, for you and I to love God, love others, love the world, love those that are unlovable, the only way that can happen is to have an overflow of love in your life. Now let's, let's look at what that means here. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to go to uh, start in verse 7. And notice what happens. Dear friend, friends, let us love one another. That's an imperative. That's a command. He's speaking that to the church. But that, that application within the body of Christ overflows to other people as well. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from who? Let's say that again. Love comes from who? Okay, now you answered your question. And here's our first statement that we need to understand this morning. The origin of love is God. Get this. The origin of love is God. It's not anything else. It's not in a song, sunset, relationship. The origin, the creator of love is God himself. Now that's important for us to recognize for a couple reasons this morning. Because if you and I are going to pursue love, we got to pursue, it, it would make sense for us to pursue the creator of love. Agreed? If you and I are going to experience love, it would best be experienced in the context of one who created it. And if you and I are going to fall in love in the right ways, it would be best to apply it in the way that God meant for it to be applied. So read with me a little further here and notice some things that are happening here. He's very clear. Go back to verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who love has been born of God and knows God. Now, that's basically, what. if we read that just really quickly, it basically says this. Love is everything, which means if you love someone, you must be a follower of Jesus, or you must love the Lord. That cannot be further from the truth. Because you and I know evil people that have love towards others, right? Adolf Hitler had a wife. He loved her but we would not call him a follower of God, right? So there has to be a discrepancy here. There has to be a difference between godly love and worldly love. Now the word love itself is, there's four words in the Greek language for love. One dealing with friendship, one dealing with sexual, one dealing with romantic love, and the other dealing with sacrificial love, meaning agape. You've heard that before, right? And the word we see here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, as well as Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, is that agape love. It comes from the Lord, and it's not selfish love hoping to get something out of it. It's an overflow of the perspective of saying, I have experienced sacrificial, life-giving love, and I want to pour that over to you. And whether I get anything in return or not, that's okay. It's the love that only comes from having a relationship with the Lord. And what John is communicating, what Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 5, and what we need to apply is that if you and I are going to love someone the way God intends, if we're going to have that Godward love and love him most, it has to be first experience in the presence of Jesus. It has to be experienced in the person that created it. The origin of love is God. So here's the thing we need to understand. Jesus makes this statement in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 through 31, and I believe this is the key to love. He basically says this, love the Lord your God, you've heard this before, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he goes on to say, love your neighbor as what? Yourself. That's love. That's love begins with an understanding of who the Lord is and asking him to come into your life 
and it overflows into the love for other people. That's it. The origin of love is God. And so if your perspective, my perspective, the perspectives that we tend to deal with as it pertains to peeling back our life and having a relationship with other people, if, if love begins in a marriage or if it begins with a child or if it's rooted in lust or greed or what you can get out of it, that love is going to fail. It has to begin, a godly love has to begin in the person of Christ, pursuing the one who, origin, who, who it originates with, and that is the Lord. Now read a little further here because I want you to understand what happens here. Because this is where it gets kind of, we kind of kind of weed through this. So let's start back in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is what? Love. That's probably one of those profound statements in Scripture. God is what? Love. What does that mean? Not only is God the origin of love, but in his very essence, he is loving. The essence of who God is, is love. Period. Now, this is huge. I want to invite you to step up on the step stool of faith and begin to stand on this foundational element for a moment. And begin to let this trickle down into your brain cells with me as I begin to try to apply it as well. The origin of love is God. In his essence, he is loving. That means, in respect to our circumstances and what we go through, there's love. In the respect to discipline that we experience, there's love. In the context of what's going on culturally, there's love. Even in the midst of suffering, guess what? There's something loving behind it. Now, that's what differentiates between what is circumstantial, what is feeling-oriented, to what is agape, God-sacrificing love. Is that sometimes we do lose that love and feeling. Agreed? In every relationship, in our relationship with God, there are sometimes you just get up in the morning and it's like, I don't know. But the essence of God is that in the midst of your worst moment, there's love. In the midst of your best moment, there's love. In the midst of his sacrifice for you, there's love. In the midst of his challenge for you and I, there's love. In his justice, in his sovereignty, in his provision, everything. It is done in a loving way. And, and this, 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 is, this is huge. Follow me on this. The only way that we can truly continue to love others in the midst of a journey that can be so very difficult is because we have been loved by someone who has an expression and has a point to love you through it. The only way we can continue to love the Lord is because we've experienced this type of love. The only way we can continue to show love towards other people when they are so rude and we're so frustrated is because we've been loved. Does this make sense to you? We can't, we can't conjure up this kind of love. There's not enough feeling out there for us. And when we peel back the parts of our life that are so damaged, I want you to begin to take the salve of love and put on it and say, you know what? No matter how, how bad I'm treated, I can continue to love. Now, I want to put a little asterisk here. Sometimes boundaries need to be put in place. Sometimes distance needs to be had. 
but you can still love, right? So challenging to do. But when we think about the person of God and the love he demonstrates through Jesus, every action is completely loving. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you get an email or text or however you communicate. And it's one of those emails that says, you know what? I'm the king of such and such country, and I want to give you $28 million if you click this link. And you're, in your naivety, you've gotten those emails before, right? And, and in your naivety, you go ahead and click the link. And it actually is true. You've broken the code, okay? The internet goes crazy. They send you a private plane to Winder because they're not going to make you drive anywhere. You go on this private plane and you journey for several hours and you land at a personal airstrip of the king. You get there and they pick you up in a helicopter and they take you to the helipad and they, there's an incredible limousine or a fancy car waiting on you. They take you there and all the dignitaries of the country meet you in front of the palace. As you step out, the red carpet's rolled out and all the dignitaries shake your hand and bow at your feet and like, you're awesome, you're great, you're incredible. And you walk into this amazing foyer and there's this grand staircase. So you get me on this for a second. And they take you, if you're a closed person, they take you to the closet and say, look, pick out anything you want. We got every designer. I mean, me, I would get Levi's and a comfortable t-shirt. Some of you are gonna go way beyond that, right? You pick out your clothes and say, look, we're going to usher you into the grand ballroom and you can pick a feast. We have the greatest cooks on the face of the planet and you pick whatever you want. Some of you are going to be like, I want some ice cream. Others you want, I want a filet. Some of you want ribs. Others you just take some hot dogs and beans. I don't know. You pick it out, you eat it, you're consumed by it. It is the best thing you've ever had. Then you get up and they show you around the palace. You go from the dungeon to the heat of the kitchen and all the difficult places, but then you walk up into the grand suite and they say, this is yours. Everything you want. And all you got to do is press this button or ring this bell and we will come and give you everything you need. You have every channel on the television. You have every streaming service. It is college football every day on TV for you. If that's you, that's me. All right, I'm just giving you my dream. All right? All this is happening. And finally they say, come in and say, the king will see you. You've never met him before. But if you've experienced all the opulence and all the favor and you've experienced all the different parts of his palace, the luxury of flying on this private aircraft and the helicopter and everything, and you walk in and as you walk to these two doors, they're there and they're going to be flung open and that's the throne room right before they say, wait, before you go in there, I want you to look at this and on the bank account, your bank account, it has a billion dollars. That's yours forever. It's a good day. You're glad you opened that email, aren't you? <laughs> the doors fling open, and there's the king. What's your feeling? It's love. Not so much maybe the love you have for him. But the only reason he did this, his complete essence, is to love you. Undeserved, unhindered love. You follow me on this? That is much like the grace of God given to you and I. Not deserving, not worthy, but experienced. And as we walk through the throne room of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, there are different rooms that says provision, sovereignty, grace, holiness, peace, gratitude, suffering. But the throne room, guys, it's love. And every one of these actions that's in your life is a loving action. 
no matter how difficult it may be at times or how wonderful it may be at times. There's a loving intent behind it. William Cooper, and I've quoted him before, was a great hymn writer in the 17 or 1800s. And if you look him up, it's, it's spelled William Cowper, C-O-W-P-E-R. He was a manic depressant. He struggled with thoughts of suicide his whole life, but he, re- he wrote some of the greatest hymns or worship songs that the church has ever had. And there's one quote in one of his hymns, and it says this. I love this. He says, behind every dark cloud, it hides a smiling face. In every dark cloud of our life that we deal with, it sometimes hides that there's a loving intent behind it. And it's demonstrated, and here's what I want you to get here, as we continue to peel back. It's demonstrated, God's love is completely demonstrated through the person of Jesus Christ. Notice what happens next. Go back to 1 John. Go back to chapter 4 with me. Notice what happens in verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. So when you see that, that's important, right? There's the answer. How does God love you? You struggled with that before? I mean, I have. Let's be real with each other for a moment. I've sat and wondered, Lord, do you really like me? Do you love me? And here's how he demonstrates his love for us. We have to take it to a next level. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he, what? Loved us. There is no, listen to me, there is a million reasons for us not to love the Lord, right? There's a million. But he didn't love, you didn't love him first. He loved you. He has a purpose in your pain. He has a loving intent in every action and circumstance. And what's so beautiful about that text? Let's go back to verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Meaning, there was death intended for us, and we needed life, so we asked Christ to come into our life, and now we live eternally. Here's the deal. Jesus takes our place, the suffering we deserve, and then we walk in his life, not ours. In his love, not what we created. And the demonstration of God's love is so beautifully hung on the cross. He goes on to say this. I just got a few more minutes here, and we're going to get out of here. Notice what happens. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, if you have a Bible and paper, underline that phrase, atoning sacrifice. That is a beautiful phrase here. And academia, academics for generations have, have, have fought over exactly what this means because there's a big Bible word, and I'm going to give you a little church history and a little nerdiness for a second. Can y'all, can y'all deal with that for a moment? There's a word called expiation, and then there's another word called propitiation. Those are big words, right? I had to look them up too. So expiation means this. It's the act of making amends or atoning for something. It's basically saying if, if I offend you, Or if I run into your car, I'm going to pay for the damages. Does that make sense? Propitiation is the act of absorbing the wrath that you caused on yourself. And what Jesus has done in that little phrase, atoning sacrifice, you take that phrase expiation and you take that phrase propitiation, you bring them together, it means that Christ made amends for you and at the same time suffered wrath for you. Do you get that? You bring them together. He's your atoning, meaning you don't have to take the punishment. He paid the price, sacrifice. He suffered God's wrath for us. That is love. You get that? He is your atoning sacrifice. And for some of us here today, you've never asked Jesus to come into your life. You need that atoning sacrifice. 
You need him to be your expiation. You need him to be your propitiation. You need him to under, You need to experience that love. Now, what's so beautiful even more about this is you read a little further. He becomes your atoning sacrifice. And notice what happens next. Dear friends, verse 11, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete. I want to throw up. I never do this, but I'm going to do it this morning because I, I, and when I was praying and working through this message this morning, I came across this quote by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is not just the author of the Narnia books, but one of the greatest thinkers of our time. And he has this quote here, and I want, we're going to put it up on the screen. He wrote this in his book called The Four Great Loves. And he says, God who needs nothing loves into existence holy, superfluous creatures in order that we may love, in order that he may love and perfect them. He creates a universe already foreseen, or should we say seeing, because there, there are no tenses in God. The buzzing cloud of flies about the cross, the flayed back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the mesial nerves, the repeated incipient suffocation of the body droops, the repeated torture of back and arms that it is time after time, for breath's sake, hitched up. This is the diagram of love itself, the inventor of all loves. That's it. That's the atoning sacrifice. That's the demonstration of love. And the gradual application of that love is this, the evidence of God's love is you. It's me. It's those who know Jesus. Because there is no way we can love each other like that. There is no way we can experience that type of love in our just meager human relationships. We need something cosmic. We need something grand. We need a throne room to walk into. Y'all with me? That's love. And if we go to verse 11 again, it says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also like to love one another. There's your application. No one has ever seen God, meaning if you know Jesus, you're going to produce this fruit. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Which means very specifically, the evidence is that we're able to love each other in church. In all of our nonsense, in all of our issues, in all of our backgrounds, we're able to love the body of Christ. We're also able to love the unlovable because there are many of those in our life. Agreed? Go to Walmart, you'll find it. And you're also able to love God when you feel like life's unfair. Is it because of his great love poured into us through Christ? That's why the whole point here this morning is that love overflows through love. You remember that at the beginning? We're able to love God when it doesn't seem fair. We're able to love others when they frustrate us. We're able to love the body of Christ because we're in this together. So here's the deal. And here's your application this morning is three questions, and then we'll wrap it up. First question I want you to ask yourself, what or who is your first love? What or who is your first love? This is big. And if your first love is like, well, it was a, it was a, it was a girl, it was a boy, whatever, when I, was, when I was 15 years old. No, no, no. First love, most love, needs to be Jesus every time. In fact, when we look at Scripture, it says you're forsaking your first love, which is always Christ. We've said this over and over again, and I hope it's a mantra you can repeat around your supper table. In order to love others best, we need to love who most? Jesus. 
Second application is this. I ask this question, how committed are we to the body of Christ? Because we're in this together. That text there says, hey, dear friends, love one another. Love one another. And the last one is this. Are you second? What does that mean? Real love, godly love, puts others, puts him first. You get that? That's where it begins. Last weekend, uh, my nieces and sister-in-law and brother-in-law from Savannah visited us. And uh, they walked into our house, and uh, my, one of my nieces, I think she's 15 now, she comes in our house, and she has a baby. Surprise. I had no idea what was happening. It was a fake baby. <laughs> Let me put that out there. But it was a little baby in a little car seat. You remember those little seats that you put in that snap into place when they're infants? And so she's walking in, just like my wife and her mom, I remember her doing this, had it in, her, in, the, in the crease of her elbow there, and she's walking in. She's got a baby. I'm like, what in the world's happening? Well, through her class at school, she was assigned a baby. They still do this, okay? I didn't know they still do this, but they were, she was assigned a baby. And now these babies are computerized to the point to where they cry like at different times of the day, and you've got to figure out if you've got to feed it, change it, burp it, or put it to sleep. I mean, look, she came to my house with a baby. That's her first mistake, all right? The second thing is that thing has got, she's got a wristband on it, connects with the, the baby's computer, or the fake baby's computer, and it cried like every hour Saturday night. I, was, I am past this, y'all. I am 45 years old, and my children are almost out of the house. I don't hear no baby, you know? And what you want to do with this thing, David, is you want to take this baby. And we, I remember this. We, had, we bought my child a Furby. Y'all heard of Furby before? And that is demon-possessed toys is what that should be called. And I'll never forget all night long. It's just like, wah, 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 looking at me. I'm like, what is going on, Sarah? We took the batteries out. It kept going. It kept going. I took it, and I locked it in. I put it in a drawer in our bedroom and shoved clothes on top of it. And, goes, bah, 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 and I'm just like, you know and I mean it's just awful and this is I'm having Furby like PTSD going on here with this baby every hour Saturday night every and I'm just like oh my you want to take the baby and put it in a trunk and close the door and drive that car off a cliff into a pond you with me and then your little thing on there starts vibrating it's like baby needs to eat and I'm like oh my gosh and it brought me back. Y'all follow me on this. Some of you got parents. It brought me back to those days when I actually had human beings that small in my home. And they did that every hour. Wait, wait, you got to feed it. Wait, wait, you got to change it. Wait, wait, just go to bed. You know, all that stuff. I'm, some of you are thinking about kids or having to like, wow, maybe we should rethink this. Yes, you should. And here's the deal. All this is happening. All this is happening. All this is happening. And I'm like, I started just thinking through. Why in the world did I put up with that? For real, think about it, Mom, Dad. Why do we put up with that? They didn't deserve this. From the moment they're born, they want to eat, they want you to change your diaper, and they want their way. Agreed? And we have low bank accounts, less sleep, and more stress, and less hair. You with me? Why? Because we love them. They don't deserve it, but we pour it into them. And when they look at you and they snuggle up at night and they smile back and say, I love you, not because they were born with that instinct, but because you've poured your love into them, it's totally worth it, isn't it? It's totally worth it. 
your relationship with the Lord through your circumstance, through the processes that you're dealing with currently, through the pandemic we've dealt with, and you feel like you're abandoned and frustrated, here I want to tell you something. Behind this dark cloud, church, is a smiling face. And regardless of how bad it may feel or it gets or trying to rationalize why or why is he doing this, why we're going through this, listen to me. It is intended for you to feel loved. So I want to encourage you this morning, where you are spiritually, wherever you are, go to the cross. Go to the cross. Sometimes you go in silence and you just cling to it. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. Sometimes you go to it and you're you're blabbing on and on. But there's intent here. I do not want my suffering to be meaningless to you. I want it to have some purpose. And that's with Jesus. Each and every time. This morning, I don't know where you are in your journey. But I want to encourage you to feel love, no love. And if you need Jesus this morning on that Connect card, check the box today, I want Christ. If you need to be baptized to make that public, check that box. And as you exit out those double doors, just slide it in. Everybody should be sliding the card anyway. If you're at home or if you'd rather do this digitally, you can text the phrase, I need Jesus, to 55498. But take that step. Are y'all with me, church? And find out what really, what really love is. Because at the end of the day, Joey was right. What does love got to do with it? Everything, right? Everything. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. And God, as, as we leave here, as we, as we have kind of waded through some deep waters this morning, we know that you're incredibly and powerfully loving. And while we don't understand it, and some of us have gone through hardship that we can't even begin to express or even write down or pray prayers for, we know that you're loving. So Christ, work in us. And whether we need to sit at the foot of your cross and just weep, or whether we need to dance, May your presence, O oh Lord, change us completely. God, thank you for loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.